everyone. Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and today is one of those special days where I'm joined not just by a friend, not just by a fellow Game Brainer, but by family. Paul, the Game Breaker, is with us. How you doing, Paul? I am doing pretty okay, pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, ben, ben gave me a tip uh, as far as podcasting, and he said, like, whenever he podcasts, he always has a cup of coffee. Uh, and so I've, I have started to do that. Oh. And unlike Ben, who probably sips it throughout the course, I just drank all of mine. So we will see how I fare if I crash around. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So far, you don't seem particularly higher energy than normal, but we'll see. We'll see what yeah, happens. You know, we will see how it goes. We'll see. We'll see how, you know, I found that. As I got older, I my body deals with coffee better. Like before, I would mm. take coffee, and I would it'd be like Ritalin, where I take it, and then all of a sudden I'm really jazzed for like two seconds, and then I get sleepy. Now it's a more uh, a more steady blend of energy. Oh, in okay. theory, all in right. Theory. So your your body is adjusting to the uh, the the rapid input of caffeine. Okay. I I think what's happening is like my body is slowly dying. And the caffeine is the only thing keeping it up. <laughs> Isn't it weird that I've never had a cup of coffee? Uh, I I think that's I have a friend who's never seen Star Wars, and she's used that as this like source of pride for her now. Like it's 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 be- just become defiant, and so uh, so I feel like coffee is that way for you. Maybe yeah, except I don't have a particular pride in it. I mean, l- let's put it this way. After you, me, and Alfred touring around Osaka and Kyoto looking for Alfred's incredibly obscure, crazy artisanal coffee places with, like, literally the best coffee in on the planet, um, I, I don't – I'm not snooty about not drinking coffee. I recognize that – uh, for gourmands, there, there is there is gold in them. There are hills. I mean, it's it's it is an amazing experience for some people, and and a, a true uh, connoisseur's delight. So I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not snooty about not drinking coffee in that sense. No, no. I, I mean, like, so I don't normally drink, not because I don't like the sensation of being drunk, although I've not I haven't actually ever been drunk, but I just don't like the taste of alcohol. And so yeah. uh, coffee was the same way for me. Uh, and, you know, and eventually I, I just started working through the coffee. So now I can I have I can drink a cup of coffee. Uh, I've talked to the wife about the drinking and she says, no, don't do that. Don't, don't work. Through it. <laughs> don't, <yeah>. Best. <laughs> You've got plenty of demons for both of us. We'll That's be right. fine. We'll be fine without adding the drinking. Well, I've That's seen right. you. I've seen you. You know, I mean, obviously, I've, I've seen you drink some over over our years. Okay. And I've seen you. Sometimes you do get a little bit of the uh, the the red face and the the um, uh, how Hello. do I how do I put this properly? Uh, <laughs> That's right. Go for it. There um, is I'm, a, I'm, there, I want there, to see you navigate this. I will. I will. There is a uh, there is a genetic thing among among certain people of uh, Asian descent that they have a reaction to alcohol that gives them a very red face it's i don't i don't know is it is it a allergic reaction or is it simply a reaction i believe uh first of all you're canceled and like you know and now uh <laughs> you'll you'll never be able to find work anywhere so good luck uh with that uh, but i believe it is a is a 
lack of enzyme or a mm. uh, that that breaks down in other in other people have this enzyme. I, I don't know. Like I'm not a biochemist, so right. but like it sounds good. So and I'm sure I, I read it somewhere like on a Buzz Sprout uh, Buzzfeed or something or I, I don't know. I don't know. Vox. Well, it would just seem to me that if if you if you carry that that gene or you don't have that enzyme, then you know then drinking is never going to be tremendously pleasurable to you because it has it gives you a somewhat bad reaction. So uh, I, that that is probably wrong because like uh, I feel that there are plenty of alcoholics in Asia. No, no, no. Well, not all, but uh, my understanding was not all Asian people have that affliction, right? I thought uh, it was just a, a percentage of the population. Is that not right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I believe I believe that's true. I believe that's true. It's just like lactose intolerance. I don't have lactose intolerance, but uh, there are many people who are uh, genetically Asian who do. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Anyway, I, I guess uh, yeah, probably not. Yeah. What is it? Uh, the Tibetans and and folks like that uh, can't be. Uh, lactose intolerant, right? Because so much of their, because nothing grows up there that, that so much of their um, uh, diet comes from milk and yeah, cheese milk. and curd and all that. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what are we going to be talking about today besides lack milk, uh, <laughs> yak milk, and uh, and other things that we should not be talking about? Um, we have been listening to your calls. We have been reading your letters. And time and time again, you guys have been hounding us and saying, Tom, Game Brain, why do, have you not reviewed a game about the War of Austrian Succession? Um, and we put it off for a while, and then you guys just became relentless. It just like every there were other. just so many people, and you know, and like you know, we didn't, you know, it's such a it's such a tried and true topic. You know, it's like oh, we we don't want to be so basic, but. We didn't. We we wanted to be the the only board gaming podcast to not get into the war of Austrian succession, but eventually you broke us down. All right, you almost shut down our Facebook group with just continuous posts about it. So we're going to be reviewing the two thousand and nine release Maria by Ricard Civel, and we're also going to be talking about table image, something we haven't really talked about yet. What it is, what it does, and what. You can do about it. Paul, let's just jump right in. Shall we get to this week's game night? Let us do that. Game night. What you been playing these days, my friend? Uh, let's see. This week, uh, Trey, uh, Ben, and myself, we played a game of 18 Chesapeake. 18XX, or is it 18XX nice. Chesapeake? 18 Chesapeake is... is yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. And uh, and I've been playing a a bit of, uh, what you call it, uh, Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica. Why would you play an inferior game to another game that's on the market? I don't understand. And, and, and we will talk about <laughs> it is one of the games on my brain. Uh, but uh, 18XX, uh, 18 Chesapeake, uh, it was, it's very interesting. Like, you know, it's, it's a, it was fun. Like, you know, I, I came in super last. Okay. Uh, it, it was a teaching game. Okay. And so, uh, so that was one of the things. But like, you know, it was, uh, it's one of those things that makes me wonder if, if I, if I just, 
grit, like, you know, much like coffee, if I just, you know, grit and bear through it, will I get to the other side and go like, oh, this is amazing. Because I see what it is, and I don't know if I if it's my cup of tea. Not to mix metaphors. No, <laughs> uh, mixed beverages. <laughs> You're only mixing beverages. Um, right. uh, listen, I, I think that it, there's gold in them, our hills, and mm-hmm. I also recognize that not every game is for every person. Um, but I do believe that. Everything I know about you, Paul, that I, I think there is an 18xx player in there, and I don't think we have to dig that far to find them. So, and, and we should talk about we'll talk about on games on the brain because, like you know, it, it, it all it it's this triumvirate of you know 18 Chesapeake, Terra Mystica, and Thomas Dean Donnelly. It's all these three <laughs> things, you know, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Oh no, <laughs> I feel. I'm starting to feel like this podcast is developing a sub-theme of Tom Donnelly is a horrible person. <laughs> I feel like well, I'm being brought up all the time and rarely in a good list. Like, hey, you remember that time Tom just completely erupted and screamed at people? I'm like, what? Well, we're going to talk about that again. And, oh, uh, Jesus. And actually, this is actually why I wanted to talk about table image for you, uh, with you. <laughs> because, like, you know, in the end, like, you know, there are things that, uh, are being done that are uh, that, that involve table image, and I and I and I really I recognize that, and we'll we'll, we'll have an interesting discussion. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, for me, I've been playing uh, I've been playing Terraforming Mars online. That that's become my kind of go to game. Uh, Crokinole with the wife. Um, played a little wavelength with some with some friends. We did that uh, online, which is pretty awesome. I played another game of Winter Kingdom that we reviewed not too long ago. Um, it's a it's surprisingly good. It's like a, a for a medium weight game. It's very thinky. It's got a lot to it. I really quite uh, like it. And uh, and then Maddie and I played a game of Twa with a friend who it was their uh, a, a pretty big birthday for them. So we got online and played a game of Twa, which oh such a good game. I like uh, who did you play with? Um, a, a a friend of the uh, podcast. Actually, we had uh, arranged something uh, quite a long a while ago that we were, you know, basically somebody who was very simpatico with with Maddie's favorite games and all that sort of stuff. We got we got talking and decided we would just uh, we'd just play a game. I came in dead last, um, pretty pretty badly too. I was not I did not have a very good game, but uh, it's 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 a Wonderful little clockwork. I really, really enjoy Twa. When was the last time you played Twa? Um, while, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. The first couple rounds were like, oh, I'm making mistakes. I forgot that this is important. Yeah, like I, uh, Maddie and I played a couple weeks ago, maybe a month. I don't know. Like uh, for whatever reason, we played, uh, and I was going like, I am completely out of my depth here. I, 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 there's so many things that I have forgotten, <laughs> uh, even though it sh- even though it shouldn't like it's not like the rule set is that hard. It's not you know, but like just the interactions were so like oh, and they go oh I'm I'm I lost by like 20 points. How how is that possible? You know, I, I thought I was doing pretty okay, and it, it, was, it was just <laughs> so interesting. It was so interesting to see how how devastatingly bad I was at it. Well, I you know I remembered a lot of it, like most of the the things, but there were there were little things. Like for instance, I knew one player by the way he was playing that his secret uh, scoring condition was was influence, right? Get get this amount of mm-hmm. influence. 
but not having played in a long time, I don't remember where the where the points where the uh, the number of influence equal. You know, you must have eight influence to get three points, and you must have twelve. Sure, sure, sure. So I ended up with one influence less. Like I did everything I should have done. I just thought that the point breakage for the big six point uh, bonus was one less than what it actually was. So there were a bunch of there are a bunch of things like that where I'm just like, oh, you know, a whole lot of inefficiencies that that you know you add them up and well, that's that's ten points there and ten points, boy, does that knock you out of that game? So, uh, but it, it's it's really. It's an amazing game. I, 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 every time I play it, I'm like, why don't I play this more? It really is exceptional. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 it's Matt's favorite, right? Uh, or at least was. You know, he, he, I think he's revamping his uh, favorites list. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, but like, you know, it's you know, it, it's great. Like, you know, it's it's not my favorite, uh, but like, we know what type of games my favorites are, and that's one that makes people cry. Well, you know, you can buy people's dice and make them cry really good in that game. Oh, fair, 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 nothing. fair. It's not nothing. Um, how about we move over to the news? The news it is. The news. We have not one, but two 4X games to talk about today. Uh, so let's get right to it. The first one is something that's going to be coming out in 2022, and they're getting ready to kickstart it, but it is not on Kickstarter yet. It is called Fractal Beyond the Void. Um, BoardGameInc.com has uh, a, a pretty good makeup of what the game is, and it looks pretty interesting. You know, uh, uh, first thing we should say is that we're not really 4X people per se, the Game Brain crew, right? It's not We're not... Totally. Eclipse, Eclipse is where I think our pla- our you know our intersection is where yes. you know we'll pl- play Eclipse and you know and I it's so interesting to me on how so much of my uh, so much of my lens is basically when I look at a four X I go like how does this compare to Eclipse and that's that, that's my filter which maybe for right or wrong you know that that just happens to me. Twilight Imperium four you know Ti four is another one of those games that you could say all right. Why would I want to play a 4X when I could play TI4? Um, that is another one. I'm just joking. There's a there's a bunch. I hate <laughs> TI4. I don't like it at all. Um, but their friend uh, Candice, a uh, friend a uh, friend of the the pod, loves TI4, and you know she, that she's got some really good taste. So I'm not sure that my, my opinion of TI four is correct. And if it's not, I'm not sure what I, what I missed. I think it's because I owned TI three and it was such a bad experience that maybe I didn't give TI four enough of a chance, but yeah, I think that's the question. The question Paul is, is, is why do we want another four X game? If we have Eclipse, if you're on that side of the coin, or TI4 on the other side of the coin, what is this going to bring to the table that is really going to break it out? And for the world of Fractal, you know, for for Fractal mm-hmm. Beyond the Void, um, you know, it's the it's the same 4X. For people that don't know 4X, we'll just quickly give them to you. They stand for Explore, Exploit, Expand, and Exterminate. So... It is sort of empire building on a map, essentially, is what it is, right? You're you're going to uh, explore the map and reveal new tiles and so on and so forth on the map. You're going to 
take over in in the case of these space four x's you're going to take over new planetary systems and so on and so forth and increase your economic military might and so on and so forth uh expand is going to be you know building colonies and so on and so forth out in space and exterminate of course is build big shiny ships and roll a whole bunch of dice and crash them into each other until you until you uh, dominate your opponent so that's what it is. One of the things about this game is that it does seem to have a story mode to some degree, which is something that uh, TI4 and Eclipse do not have. Uh, first of all, a lot of these 4Xs have unique factions. In this case, um, they, they did something interesting with the factions. Um, in both, um, both of the other games, both TI4 and Eclipse, um, your faction, you get it, and this is your faction, and this is what you play. In this case... Um, there are three different things that make up what makes you unique, right? There is the uh, faction itself, which has an innate ability. Um, there is a combat uh, aspect to it, and there's a political philosophy. And these things are, are, you know, somewhat different and disparate. Don't know enough about it to comment other than to say that from a design perspective, if you are designing a race or a... Uh, a player power that has three different aspects um, that could be a step up. That could be something where you're where where you're making more differences and more nuances between players than normal, right? I think so. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, my my first go to is well balance. You know, if yep. uh, the moment you you start adjusting that, then now you risk there being a certain setting that is optimal for whatever i don't know if this is the case that that's just where my mind no, first goes yeah. to uh and so you know it'd be interesting to see how they've considered that yeah well one thing is that they are putting 12 races in the in the box so 12 different uh, things so even if a few of them are unbalanced you still have plenty of game to play with the with the remaining so i think that's that's helpful um, but then the other thing is the story aspect, which is they have the aftermath, which is a story-driven dynamic campaign that represents the changing state of the galaxy through various gaming sessions. Um, and the idea of playing a 4X game um, continually, serially, uh, as a campaign is very interesting to me. I, I think these games tend to not be the shortest games in the world. They tend to take some time to play. Um so there is a risk in extending that out to multiple gaming uh, uh, sessions that you might wear out your welcome. But there's also the possibility that, you know, people that like 4X games tend to tolerate longer playing sessions to begin with. They might be exactly the type of people that might be into a an evolving campaign. So... Uh, that's fractal beyond the void. I think we should. Uh, I think we should keep an eye on it and check it out as it develops. And then the second one, you probably have heard something about it. Uh, Stellaris Infinite Legacy. Stellaris is a very popular PC game. I've uh, actually played it on my son's computer a little bit. I, I like wow! It. Wow! Look at that. I have that's... played a video game. <laughs> it, you have played one video game. <laughs> I have played one video game. Uh, my my son is obsessed like Trey is with Valheim, so <laughs> mm, sure, sure. So you know these these things happen. Um, but yeah, I like St I like Stellaris. I thought that was a, a very good video game, and the PC game looks pretty darn good. And because of that, it has 
it is crushing Kickstarter right now. It is absolutely crushing Kickstarter. Uh, I believe it, 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 the end of the campaign is around April 5th or April 6th. So when you hear this, uh, if you want to get in on it, you're going to have to jump in and, and check it out quickly. Um, it is at $2.3 million, I think, is, the, is, is where they are on the Kickstarter. So it is absolutely crushing it. And uh, what can we tell you about Stellaris? Well, first of all, it is based on a uh, a video game, which gives me a little bit of uh, breathing room, right? I'm not worried about, well, d- did they mess it up, right? They, they have a good base to build off of no matter what. Um, they have, you know, it is a 4X game in which you are designing a civilization. And they say, they say that you could play this in two hours. That would be quite something. When you think, when you think, I mean, I, could you imagine a, an actual 4X game that our group can play in two hours? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that's, not, that's not something that is possible. We are slow, aren't we? Uh, I think for all of it, we are heavy on the thought process. Yeah. So I, I, slow is, you know, slow is a perception, right? Like, you know, I think if you were to measure out, like, you know, like BGA is very good at this, like how much time an individual takes uh, versus how much time it feels like an individual takes. I think you'll find that like there is a discrepancy. I tend to be a pretty mid to long thinker. Uh, I've been told by certain people in our group that I'm not, uh, I don't, it doesn't feel that way uh, by the way I play because I'm always like narrating my thoughts and like blah, 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 blah. But like, I tend to be a longer thinker compared to say everyone compared to Alfred, but like, you know, yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I mean, you, you hide that. Well, you hide, you hide the fact that you actually think about the game you're playing. It's really nice. Oh yeah, you know, like thank you, thank you. It, it, it's it's all it's always lovely to be seen. <laughs> um, another thing about Stellaris is that uh, it's kind of almost a campaign game as well, in the sense that um, when you are done with an with an empire that you've been building, uh, abandoned empires remain in the galaxy as fallen empires, right? And you can. You know, people can jump into the game that you're you're playing and, and join in, and so on and so forth. Kind of has an emergent story aspect to it. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting game. The problem comes with the price point. So, the base level game is a uh, hundred and ten dollars. The deluxified, and I don't even know if it's deluxified. All it means is, you know, with Kickstarter, there are all the the additional levels and all the add-ons that are in there. If you want all the add-ons, you're looking at $170 for this game. That is, that's a price point. Let's just say that, right? Ah, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, you know, uh, if this is something, I mean, obviously at, you know, at 2 million, like, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. It's, do, it's doing fine. Right. Like, you know, and it's, I think, I think yeah, we, we don't have to it, worry about, we don't have to worry about, Oh, are we damaging the game? No, we're, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the end, like, you know, <clears throat> people pick what they want to do. Like, you know, and if this is that game that like, you know, is, means so much to people because they have a lot of great sure. memories about it. And sure. like, they, they, you know, I think two seven, you know, like I, 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 I remember days when a PS2 was like 300 bucks 
and people were talking about is this too much for a you know for a a, a console you know is this too much for yep. uh for something like that is a luxury item and you know time and time again the answer is no people are going to pay what they're going to pay to have you know that that dopamine hit and i think that like you know i think this is actually really great pricing from a business standpoint maybe. i think people are maybe yeah. Um, I guess the question is, is, is uh, how many times do you need to commit to getting this to the table to justify the price point, right? Yeah. I, I think we're a bunch of nerds that way, Tom. I don't know if people really think in those terms. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like, like we're, we're like, as a, as a group, we tend to go like, here's cost analysis. Here is like uh, money, you know, uh, I remember this. I remember this time like w what we do is we have uh, dinner before game night often and Trey and I were in line uh, at this uh, Brazilian uh, kind of uh, the one the one down the street for me exactly uh, the, the steakhouse not you know like a Brazilian Charoscuro, right uh, yeah it's like, like it's like a, a buffet kind of thing where, yeah. you, where you just basically put stuff on your plate you weigh it and then you pay uh, and you know being who we are <laughs> good or bad uh, we, uh, is there's this, a, hold on a second. is this where you were, where you were looking at the person in front of you who was not part of the Don't group? Don't step on my story. I'm just, I'm just checking. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you do it. Okay. So, so, so basically <laughs> there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of food, like, you know, like there's like mashed potatoes or, you know, or rice and, you know, before you get to the meat and, uh, you put the meat on at the end and you weigh it. The thing is like, if you get all meat, uh, it's a really high premium. If you get all vegetables, it's much. It's like a dollar lower. And if you get some kind of mixture between the two, uh, it's like a uh, dollar more. So, the way that we that we approach the situation is like, let us get the lightest uh, non-meat item that there is. So, like you know, like let's get two leaves of lettuce that has high surface area, so it looks like we have a lot. Uh, but not so much weight, and then we put the meat on, and then we get the you know the highest reward, uh, which you know seems like really stingy of us. But don't judge, please. It is, uh, <laughs> it is the gamification of the Brazilian food format. All right, yeah, that's what yeah, it is. This, this, this is our prep for game night, so you know no, no judgment, please. Uh, but there was this guy in front of us who was just put in a bunch of like mashed potatoes, starches, like like heavy stuff, like beans, all this stuff on his plate before he even got to the meat. And Trey looks at me and he goes, he shakes his head. He goes like, that guy, you know, uh, he's, he's just, he's just messing it up. He's just not doing the math. <laughs> and, you know, and being who I am, I go like, obviously I understand what Trey is saying. And I, on one hand, I believe that. But on the other hand, I put myself in that guy's situation and I look at our plates compared to his. And I, I go, if I were him, I'd look at us and go like, oh, these guys are so concerned about money. I feel bad for them. Like, you know, they're going out to eat and they're just trying to trying to like, you know, make it look like they have all this. Oh, they're trying to game the system like this is dinner. Like, you know, you're just supposed to enjoy your meal. Just, you know, what, what does it matter if you pay an extra five dollars? You know, if you have, you know, and I was looking at that, I was like, oh, it's really two different ways of looking at the uh, the experience. And I imagine with people who are going to spend the 270 probably think of it in those terms. They're, they're not thinking of it in terms of like, oh, how much, how much juice can I squeeze out? Right. Because it's like this, this is this moment. I want to – we're going to get together. We're going to spend 
you know, nine hours and play this game maybe once with my closest friends. And it's going to be worth spending three hundred dollars to have this memory, this experience. You keep going you know, up. It was one seventy, by the way. One. <laughs> uh, okay, one seventy. Okay, one so, one so seventy. Like, they're going to spend. It's totally fine to spend five seventy on. <laughs> So, okay, so, well, this is interesting, though, because this is um, uh, on the Facebook, uh, somebody posted a question, which is, what's the most you ever did to bling out your, your one of your games? You know, what did you ever do most to upgrade it and, and bling it out? And I did my facetious post, which is, well, for my uh, copy of Antiquity, I took the chits out of the uh, used Taco Bell wrappers that I usually store them in, and I put them in a plastic bag one plastic bag mm-hmm. um, because I notoriously don't really care about that stuff too much. Sure, but sure. but the, the truth behind it is that um, Maddie and I uh, buy games differently. Absolutely. Like he buys the deluxe. He loves the Kickstarter bonuses and the this and the that and, you know, the big boxes and the blinged out stuff and all that sort of things. And I really don't want to spend that much money on things. And I think part of it comes from the fact that I've been, you know, just just having done it longer, I'm at a place now where I look at my collection and my purchase decisions come down to this. It's like, okay, this game looks like it fits in the space. Do I have any games that fit that kind of space? Yes, I do. Here are my three or four favorites that are in that space. Do I buy this game? And if I do, how does how do I justify adding that to my collection? Right? What is the how is that going to fit in there? And that, and that's something that I I think about a, a lot. And I don't need the bells and whistles, right? The game itself, how the game plays, is the most important thing to me. Definitely not how it looks. That's not. A really big concern for me. I, listen, I love when a game looks beautiful. I, I absolutely adore it, but it's not it's it's not the first, second, third, or even fourth thing that that I'm concerned with. So for me, my gaming my game purchasing decisions have a lot more to do with is this a game with I have a I have a collection that I'm proud of and that I'm happy with, and when I walk into the room where the games are. Everywhere I look is something I want to play, right? It's not hard to find a game to play on, on game night because there's all this great stuff. What I'm really looking for is, is there a game that I think has a high chance of staying in my collection? So that, and that's a very totally. different, that's a very different way of looking at it, right? So what it sounds to me like if I just reduced everything you said is like, Paul, the reason why I don't spend 970 on a game like this is because I'm cheap. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I totally get it, Tom. I I totally get it. Yeah, you know, you you play these games long enough and and you get to a point where you know, adding something new into your, you know, I I I'm guessing for Jay Leno it, it it's, you know, there are you know a thousand well, new cars coming out every year. He's not, he's not getting many of them, right? Because he's he's got. Uh, no, he is, he seems to be an addict about cars. Well, I, guess, I, guess <laughs> so, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. That's a different. But story. Let, 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 to, not to overdo this one thing, but like you know, when we were in Hawaii, I mean, I'm Hawaii in, in Japan. We went to Jiro Sushi, which is you know, as far as the main 
foodie culture is probably premier sushi place in the world. Like, you know, it's, it's arguably the best, right? Yes. Um, and we pay, we paid a premium on that. Uh, we, uh, big pardon. We, I had to pay my, my share on that. Like for the sushi, you paid for the, you paid for the dessert, uh, restaurant, but, Oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess. We, yeah, fair but, enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. You love me, but you don't love me that much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got the reservation. That's I, I, virtually I'm impossible. Not judging, not judging. No judgment. No judgment. I'm just saying, like you know. Uh, hey, yeah. Anyway, uh, and there's this aspect about you pick, uh, like people. You know, like I think we are. You in particular are very conscious on how you. Uh, spend your money as far as like, is this going to be worth the squeeze? That that's a yep. that's a very common, and and ultimately, I think there are there's a way of thinking, and that we as humans do, we go like, oh, and this doesn't fall into that calculus. Like we're we were going to spend that much money uh, for the sushi. We would have spent maybe one point five more than that for that sushi, just because it was the best in the world. And I think like. Uh, in in this case, I think a lot of people will spend their money uh, mm. on games that really create this one feeling. Like mm. I, I think we as I, I put myself in your shoes. Like I'm a person who really doesn't care about the blinged out stuff, uh, and I I enjoy just you know the company of it. But like for some people, that that blinged out stuff is just as important as the company of it. And so like so I feel like this is. The, I think the marketing of this game and the price point of this game is really business savvy because the people who are going to spend it are going to spend it. Mm. So, you know, th that's just how I, I see it. Like, you know, I it's really it's a, interesting. What you just said is tremendously interesting to me because it, it definitely goes toward my philosophy of spending money and what we spend it on. Um, there was a, a bunch of studies that that were talking about money and happiness. Right. And they they kind of came to a semi-unanimous conclusion that money spent on experiences equals far more happiness than money spent on acquiring things. Ah, but but here's the thing. And I, I agree with that. But, like, they're not buying the thing necessarily. They're buying the experience of playing a premium setup with their friends. Yeah. I mean, but you understand that, 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 that's a, that's a slippery slope there, right? Oh, that absolutely. it's that, that, but, yeah. And the more you're focused on the things, the more you're acquiring, you're, you're paying money to acquire a thing. And the more you're focused on the experience of playing the game, the more you're on that. So, so you, you're right. Board games are this weird, they're kind of both a little bit, right? It's a matter of sure. how, how much they are one or the other. Well, I mean, I mean, like here, here, here's here's why I would say to you, like, let's say this this goes, and like you know, because it's going to go, and oh yeah, <laughs> uh, and people get their play of it, and it becomes this kind of like collector's item thing, and it it shoots through the roof, you know, as far as price point, you know, like then was that a savvy move for them to do, like you know, as as far as an investment to have, I, I don't know, I I think like Jennifer and Matt do this really interesting thing where they buy games mm -hmm. and once they uh are done with the game they sell them for you know it's like leasing a game and so i yeah. I, I like i don't know the answer uh, i'm just saying like i i there's a point to be made about buying the premium uh, editions sure that it's not you know it's, it's not a it's not a sucker's bet it's a it's a choice no no, no. I, I know i'm not suggesting in any way shape or form that it is a sucker's bet what i am saying is that 
you know, we need to be cognizant of these price points and realize that, you know, there are people that are listening to our to our podcast mm-hmm. that one hundred and seventy dollars is that's four other games. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're like, bu- uh, that's the cost of four other games. And, you know, one of the things I like about the hobby is that the hobby doesn't have to be tremendously expensive, right? Right. You can absolutely you 100%. Can, you can put together a collection of 10 games for, you know, $400 or, or so and play those games for five years. Now, of course, we are a podcast where we keep telling you about the new hot game and this great game, and and now we're doing this. We're going back to 2009 today to talk about this amazing game. It's just because the the art form of board games has exploded and people are making amazing things out there. We want you to know what they are, but we also want to realize that you know, and we probably need to do an episode on this. We probably need to do an episode on budget gaming. Uh, oh, that's interesting. That would be a good topic. Right? Because I have a lot of uh, sympathy for that. You know, listen, screenwriting is one of those things where you have amazing years and then you have some bad years sometimes. I mean, that's just just the cyclical nature of the business is that it's going to be that way. And having been on some down years... How do I budget my, uh, my my gaming money? So anyway, which is all to say that Stars looks great. It has. It is. There are going to be so many copies of this out there at two point three million. It is going to be all over the place. I definitely recommend you check it out. And if it is your jam and you know it's your jam, then then plop down the money and check it out this week for sure. Whoa. Let's do one last thing. Uh, we're going to talk about Keyforge Adventures. Keyforge, huge, huge uh, game that came out, deck-building game, um, but it didn't have a cooperative mode. Maddie's going to be so upset. <laughs> He's going to be so upset. He hates co-op. Does not like co-op, but guess what? Keyforge Adventures is coming, and basically what it does is it turns Keyforge into two players playing cooperatively against a boss. Uh, the two that are coming out are Rise of the Keyraken instead of Kraken, and then the Abyssal Conspiracy. And the idea is it's it's a full-on adventure where you're playing against a common villain deck. Um, looks good. Looks like, you know, I don't, uh, Keyforge is not exactly my cup of, uh, of tea to begin with. Um, but I think it looks pretty good. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Marvel card game this way, you know, when it's put together this way a little bit. Uh, yeah, not, not the Dice Master one. Like, like, which, yeah, I, I, I see. Yeah, I, you, you're right. I, I forgot what it's called. Uh, Matt would know. Uh, he and I played a, a bit of that, I believe. But yeah, no, it, it the artwork is great. You know, if you like Keyforge, I think, uh, and you like co-op, you would, I think, you would enjoy this. Or I, Mar- I've Marvel never Champions, by the way, Marvel Champions, the card game. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I, I wasn't the the biggest fan of of Keyforge. It was fine, uh, but uh, like as Trey and I were talking about this, I'm I'm a big fan of deck construction. Yeah, uh, and that's not what Keyforge is. And so, like, oh, uh, I, so, I felt this. So, I know, felt the uh, same way. I felt like I felt like they had already done the thing that I find the most interesting part of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally but, agree know. with that. Uh, but, but you know, if you're if you're in the Keyforge and you like co-op, I think you should take check this out. Done. Let's get to games on the brain. Yeah. 
We are already running long, Paul. You and I, we, ch- we just you know, ch- l- l- let's do this. L- let's see if we can get to the three-hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to get into my games on the brain because it sounds like you are loaded for bear, sir. Let's hit it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, game on my brain uh, is Terra Mystica, uh, a little bit of 18xx, and Thomas D. Donnelly. Oh, uh, oh, so, no. so here is here is something that I uh, like. You are a big proponent of saying like. Uh, Gaia Project is a vastly superior uh, game to Terra Mystica. And I, I guess my question is, have you played it with the bidding and the other maps? Um, I've played it with the uh, with the other maps. I have not played it with the bidding. Uh, and so, like, uh, like you know, basically some uh, a friend of mine goes, hey, we were part of this uh, game board gaming group. You know, if you want to join, I go, sure. And the only game that they really were playing that I, I was interested in was Terra Mystica. Mm. And so I was introduced to the bidding, and and they have also some new, t- like a special home tile or whatever. And I was going like, oh, you know, with this bidding, it really has solved some of the balance issues that Terra Mystica had. Yeah. Uh, and... And more importantly, like I, I feel like your biggest uh, proclamation about Gaia Project is like the tracks do so much more. You yes. Know? Well, yeah. And and let me let me be clear. Terra Mystica is it's an a amazing great game, game, but it's just Gaia Project is it, just so it, much better. Oh, it is an amazing <laughs> game. And by the way, without Terra Mystica, you don't have Gaia Project. Absolutely, it's the same absolutely. people, the same design. I got nothing against it. I'm just saying that you know. Why are you still on an iPhone four? <laughs> so this this is what's interesting to me because I, I was, as I was playing Terra Mystica, I was going like, oh, you know what? I think I like Terra Mystica more than Gaia Project. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, uh, there I go. There's my there's my flush. I'm getting kicked off the podcast. Uh oh. Uh, wow. But and here's the reason. Like you know, uh, I'm a person like who enjoys a game that really is reductive. Like a game that like really gets to what it is, mm-hmm. and uh, and we just play at that level. Avalon is a, a reduction of what uh, the resistance. Yeah, yeah, and so and it, it does it in such a way that I go like, oh, this is it gets to the good part quicker. Mm-hmm. And when I look at uh, Terra Mystica, Terra Mystica is is basically an area control game. You know, from all, all yeah. I think, it, it, uh, very much so. And and the uh, and the tracks wind up being a augmentation of your abilities to do this area control. And so, for all of it, like it doesn't add a whole bunch of stuff. And that was the complaint about it. Like this is kind of dull. But what that dullness or like whatever you want to call that is, it focuses on what the game really is, which is to me the area control. Mm. And when I look at Gaia Project, there's a whole other set of mechanisms that, you know, that the tracks are. The tracks do so many other things. And the question is, like, you know, does that mechanism change what the game is? Or is it just another mechanic uh, or another box of complexity that you add to the game? Mm. And when, when the reason why I think of you is because I feel like you are a person who tends to enjoy... Uh, more the way I would describe it is like you know more mechanisms that, that require working memory like you yeah, know you you want to juggle a few more balls and the goodness of a game 
uh, is directly connected to the number of balls that it's juggling. Right. You know, right. And, and so, and so like I, I look at, you know, I, I, Gaia project is a great game. You know, I think it's, you know, it's without, you know, Gaia project, I wouldn't know how great Terra Mystica is. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, but like it, it is this aspect where like, and, and for example, I, I look at like, uh, brass, you know, yeah. uh, Lancashire and Birmingham. Is that right? Yeah. And they are different games ish, but they're essentially the same game. And there's, there's no real, uh, real change as far as the focus of what the game is. Correct. The, uh, and whereas like Terra Mystica and, uh, and Gaia project, I feel like, uh, Terra, uh, Gaia project is Terra Mystica plus this other, these other aspects that I don't know, make the area control, uh, any more exciting for me. It's just another mechanism of how to get area control. Like, uh, but it's not, it doesn't, grow on what the goodness of the game is to me i hear you i mean i would say this i would say that in terra mystica the temple tracks Mm -hmm. um are point scoring tracks primarily when you when you activate them you get a bonus right Mm -hmm. but the bonus isn't on the track itself really The, the, the the bonus is sort of separate from that and there are um player powers there are races that are going to be you know just just naturally funneled into heavily being on those tracks or lightly being on those tracks right right heavy he- heavy board versus heavy track and so on and so forth well, i mean like to, 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 to not get in the weeds but like aside from the cultists who do you feel like are really track heavy um, the cultists were the ones I was thinking about, yeah. pr- primarily. Uh-huh. But you know, but but there are there are some that are pretty, you know, that that have so many other things that they have to do mm-hmm. in the game. You know, I think the the sure. the, uh, the dwarves, the halflings, you know, those guys. They're 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 so they're so obsessed with uh, expanding out on that board and grabbing that territory mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That that I just don't see there being that many actions. Uh, also. So, you know, it's it's the use of the priests, right? And and how many of your primary, you know, how many of your best buildings are not at all uh, related to to developing those those buildings that give you the priests, right? That that that's another uh, factor that sure. goes in there. Whereas with with um, Gaia Project, right. it is definitely one of those things. That, first of all, there's more tracks. There are, the, and the rewards on those tracks is different in every single game. And by looking at those, you can see that I don't think there's a single starfaring race in, in that game that wants to ignore those tracks. I think there are, I mean, to a much, much lesser extent, there are a couple of them that are going to be a little more track heavy than others. Mm-hmm. But really, it's about what what is the thing that i want these tracks to generate for me right that that my race naturally does not quite have what is the thing what is the asynchronous benefit that i'm going to get from doing this that is going to give me that little bit of edge in a very cutthroat very tight uh, um, area control game oh absolutely but like you know but what you're saying you know like not to be overly reductive sure is like here's this another mechanism that will uh, uh, that will increase uh, uh, flexibility and uh, and what you call it a little complexity like you know like and, and don't misunderstand me I'm a person who 
really respects, you know, games that can juggle a whole bunch of balls. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like for me, like, you know, like if I was like if I was going to like say uh, who Tom is, like Tom is a person who in, in our group probably prefers the most balls. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And and what you said initially, which is that you like a game that is, you know, that that has simplicity at its core. Terra Mystica is, first of all, not at all simple, but more simple than than Gaia Project in that sense, right? More uh, elemental. It's like this, this, all of these things have to do with conquering the board, and all of these things have to do with conquering a temple track. And conquering the temple track and conquering the board are mostly two separate things, whereas in Gaia Project, one there's a much more of a feedback loop of one feeding into the other. So like, I totally well, get that. Without diving too, I, I, I would disagree with that, but, like, you know, uh, oh, but okay. I understand what you're saying. All right. Uh, but, yeah, but, you know, ultimately, it was – and this – back to 18xx, you know, and for me, Age of Steam, uh, Age of Steam – seems to be more reductive in a way that I'm not seeing in 18xx. Mm. Partly because the stock uh, the stock and the track leg are not as unified as I would prefer, like say that, that and I don't know if this is a matter of me being just more versed in 18 uh, in, in Age of Steam yeah. or if it's uh so I have to play more 18xx, but like right now I, I look at the I look at it and I go like, oh, I'm having a harder time finding what the game is about about 18xx that is right. as opposed to uh, age of steam and i don't know if it's that's a, a good or bad thing well yeah i mean 18xx there's really two main flavors and every mm -hmm. game is on a spectrum between those two right there's the operation games and there sure. are the stock manipulation games mm -hmm. and operation games are going to play a lot like uh, age of steam in a lot yep. of ways but the stock manipulation games are a whole other beast. That is that is the kind of next level stuff, and that's one of the fun things about the 18xx series of games is finding games that have have that um, how would I put it have, have the right balance of those two elements. And the stock manipulation element is not something that exists in in Age of Steam. That that is nope, a nope. that is a new new element. And one of the reasons I say that I think I think there's an 18xx player in Paul is that I think at its core, uh, the stock manipulation aspect of the game is is something that shines to your uh, predilections oh, of play. Absolutely, and, and by what Tom means, like Paul, you're a jerk, and like you have plenty of opportunities to be a jerk with the stock market, and absolutely, so, so many more, <laughs> so many more, absolutely. You know, it's the question is like you know, is it chocolate and peanut butter? Or is it like two different flavors that are not melding to me as uh, as I as much as I'd like to? I don't sure. know yet. Sure. So, yeah, that's Fair. what's on my brain. Fair enough. What was the Thomas Donnelly part of this? Was that was it? Well, well, well it's it's you and your your uh, predilection to complexity. Yes, yes, it's it's fair. That is that is true. Um, I don't like complexity for complexity's sake, but yeah, I, I definitely saw spoken like someone who likes. <laughs> oh man love you paul let's get to our review maria is a game from 2009 the designer um he is a berliner so i'm gonna think that his name is pronounced ricard Sivel. uh the artists are hans balzer richard Schako, richard stubenovoil and andreas tofer uh, and the publisher is histo games Paul, 
tell me the basics of what Maria is. Uh, basics. Uh, Maria is a uh, three-player uh, war game. Only. You know? Three-player only, uh, actually. Yes, yes. Uh, let's see. Where one player is playing France, the other player is playing uh, Hungary, and the third player is playing uh, Austria and uh, the Pragmatic Army. And the 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 real uh, the real interesting thing is the person who's playing the uh, uh, Austria and the Pragmatic Army on different uh, when they're playing uh, what you call it each each army I suppose they're playing against different players so Correct. like so in in a way uh, you have a two player like everyone's trying to win one player is incentivized to help to play against. Uh, one one player, and at the same time, when they're taking their second army, they're playing against the person who was at one time their ally, and vice versa. So it's uh, it's this that player is called the schizophrenic player uh, in the game rules, and yeah. so you have this great blend of a three player war game that kind of incentivizes different things uh, than you would typically expect. Totally, so that's that's the gist. You know, but it's a war game. So, yeah. So we should start with it's a war game. Um, yeah. Where is it on the war game spectrum? It is one of the most um, Euro-friendly war games that exists. It is definitely a Euro-friendly war game, but it is much more of a war game than a lot of the games that we talk about on the podcast. The fact that it is a three-player only thing, um, there used to be a thing where when I was early on putting together my collection of games... I always wanted to have a number of games for each player count. And a matter of fact, to this day, I organize my games according to player count, right? Uh, the, the the ones that max out at three are the ones that I'd only want to play at three, go on this shelf, and the next go on this shelf, and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that's that was really important. So in the early days, finding games that play well at five and games that play well at six, that was a hard thing to do. But always, always games that play at three players are very, very tricky. And that's because of the three-player problem. Three-player problem, put very simply, is when you have a game where you're playing three players, what happens when one player starts winning, the other two gang up on that player and knock them back down or whatever and so on and so forth until somebody else rises and then two people beat up on that. And it creates a... Eh, not the most desirable feedback loop to some degree. Now, the more modern Euro games tend to have less direct conflict, so less ability to gang up and hurt a person. So the three-player problem is lessened in comparison to what it was in the old days. But in a war game, a three-player problem is still a very big problem, which is why uh, Richard Civil's uh, edition of the schizophrenic player is... Mind-blowingly genius, actually, because one player is not is is allied with both of the other players in limited ways and still trying to win on their own condition. They, they kind of are playing; they're balanced on a beach ball. When you say, "Paul, you played the schizophrenic player," correct? I have not actually. I've only played France and uh, oh. uh, 
Hungary, Hungary, like you know, yes, Hungary. Hung, so, Hungary, uh, Hungary, Hungary. So we should say that that this game is uh, stands on the shoulder of another giant, one of my favorite games of all time that I talk about a lot of times. Friedrich, also by Ricard Zuvel, and uh, that one was back in two thousand four. That is a four player game uh, set during the Seven Years' War, right? And in that one, uh, there is no schizophrenic player. There are three. There is France, Russia, and Austria, and they are all playing against Prussia. In other words, Prussia is much more powerful than any one of them, but all three of them are considerably more powerful than Prussia. And when you play the game, what you're really doing to some degree is everybody wants to – all Prussia needs to do is last. They just need to survive. Everybody else is trying to achieve their own victory condition. But if you press too hard to achieve your victory condition and you fail, what you may have done is you may have weakened Prussia to the point where somebody else is going to snatch victory from you and win right away. So it's this amazing balance where I want Prussia to be weak, but I don't want Prussia to be too weak because then it's going to give an opening to one of my allies to to sweep the board and win the game, which is really, really interesting. Um, the difference between Friedrich and Maria is that Maria took uh, a Friedrich's very simple rule base and added certain elements, right? Um, Paul, do you want to talk about the politics in the, in the game, which is interesting? Uh, sure. Like, you know, so every, basically every round, uh, there'll be uh, some kind of like a round event. Like there'll be actually two and you get to bid on these. Uh, and like, uh, and if you get it, you get to activate it or not activate it. And what happens is uh, some things will be very good for you and some things will be very bad for you. Uh, and you have to make that calculus of like oh do i bid for this in such a way that i'm just like hate drafting this so no one hurts me and or uh uh do i spend a lot of you know on this in order to get for me uh or to hurt someone the the real the real issue is of course that like you're bidding on in certain suits and these suits these cards that you have that you're bidding with they're the they're the ammo you have when you battle (laughs) so yeah. So we, the more the more that you have to the more that you bid on on these things, the weaker your your position is going to be when you're actually in the battlefield. So there's this great balance of things. In in I almost feel like there's a, a twilight struggle aspect about this, where you're you're always trying to gauge the pain point of which I'll take this now this 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 hit on the chin now because I need to keep this high card in my hand because I'm going to be attacked very soon or I'm going to attack soon. So like, you know, that tension is always there. This kind of count, this like, I think that beach ball analogy is uh, a great one where you're always having to make these choices that you don't want to take. Yes. You don't want, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do this. <laughs> now, which, which one is the one I don't want the most. <laughs> so. Am I going to die by fire or by ice, right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I, I guess before we, you know, 
we should get to uh, something much more basic than that, which is how the game plays, which is really interesting because when we say war game, people are thinking dice and hundreds and hundreds of little chits that go on a map. First of all, the map is gorgeous. Both of these games, the maps are beautifully produced and wonderful. There are not hundreds and hundreds of chits in this game. Matter of fact, each player has these round wooden discs that are their generals. And I think the most generals somebody has is eight, maybe? Something along those lines. It's it's very very it's it's relatively small. On a piece of paper, you're writing down how many armies are under control of uh, each of your generals that are in the field, and the rules to the game for the for the the combat of the game and the movement of the game, which it's more movement than combat really. When when you get right down to it, are on a playing card. One single playing card tells you everything you need to do. It says that your pieces can move three spaces. They can move uh, three spaces on on this interconnected map board. If you were on a major road, you can move a little bit farther. You also have supply trains. Supply trains need to be within six spaces of your general if he is not in your home territory. Otherwise, your army is out of supply and that's a bad thing we don't like that uh but your supply trains only move two spaces each time right that's the majority of what's going on and in addition to that you have a hand of tactics cards and your tactics cards are from a basically a modified playing card deck you have four suits you have hearts spades you know clubs and diamonds and on the map the map is subdivided into squares, and each square has a suit, which means to say that when I am in clubs and another general's army comes within one space of me, we are going to be fighting a war. And the only cards I can use to, to prosecute that war are the clubs that I have in my hand. So let's suppose that you have – Paul has a general, and he has eight armies – uh, that are attached to that general. Now, that, that's not a piece of paper, so I don't know, just looking at that general, I don't know what his fourth strength is, which is great because that's good fog of war. I only have five. So I am starting off minus three. He's got a strength of three higher than me, which means I play cards first. I could play a ten of clubs, in which case I would go from a minus three to a plus seven. Now he is losing by seven. Then he can play a four, which brings him down to a minus three. And then he can play a seven, which brings him to a plus four and me to a minus four. And then it becomes my turn again and so on and so forth. We're trading cards back and forth. But realize at any point you can say, I'm done. As long as you're the losing person. So, for instance, in that initial example, when he was at uh, eight and I was at five, I was at minus three. I could play no cards whatsoever and just take the loss of three, which would mean I would go from having five armies under that general to only having two armies under that general, and he would be able to move me back three spaces any direction that he wants as long as it's away from as long as it's away from him, uh, which is a really interesting thing because. As Paul was saying, these cards are your lifeblood. These cards tell you what you can do, your relative strength in each of these different territories, and being able to lose tactically 
right? For instance, what if I played a two of clubs in that situation? Now I'm only minus one. I would lose only one army. I'd still have four armies left, and he would move me back one space, and he loses tempo, right? That's a whole turn done, and he barely wounded me, and I lost nothing. I lost a little, tiny little card. Interesting thing about this is that in a lot of these games, you would think, well, I want a hand of big cards. I want uh, tens and nines and eights. I don't want the twos and the threes. Not so much in this game. In this case, twos and threes, the, those lower numbers give you flexibility. Right, Paul? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, although you do want you want all the cards. You just want a lot of cards. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, real. that's really, you want a lot of cards. Uh, the problem is, like, you know, if you if you don't spend your cards, you'll get them, but, like, then you're not really doing anything. Correct. Which is where maneuver comes into, in, into play, right? It's like where, okay, your general is within three spaces of this army or, God forbid, one of my supply trains. And how do I move my supply trains to stay out of your way? And on the map, there are little flags all over the place. And those flags are key points that my enemy has to capture. And if they capture those those spaces, then they are closer to winning the game for them. So I'm trying to defend territory or take territory of yours in order to get the victory points necessary to win. The, the effect of such a simple mechanism of you have cards, but the cards are in four different suits, and I look at you and I see you have a hand of 10 cards and I'm terrified. What I don't realize is that you only have one diamond in your whole hand. There is a bluff aspect to this game that is mm, magnifique. It is really phenomenal. Um, there are also a couple of cards. There's a reserve card, which you can take one to 10 units and you can choose what the number is. So it's not quite a playing card deck. It's only slightly different. But uh, the way that that plays out, and what, uh, there are also spaces on the map which are cross borders. So I'm attacking from spades, you're defending in hearts. Those places on the map tend to be where the really big battles happen because we're both playing in suits of strength to some degree and create some very, very interesting situations. Um, so the way the game plays is less... I have all of these units, and they're going here, and now I'm rolling a whole bunch of dice. It becomes much more, I'm maneuvering myself into a place where I have strength that my enemy doesn't know about. I'm trying to attack them in a place where I think they're weak, and I can know they're weak because guess what? There are other players in the game. So Prussia has just attacked uh, attacked this, this person, and I know that they were defending in clubs. So if I attack a different army of theirs in clubs, I am severely – I have a pretty good chance – of catching them with their guard down, catching them when they have very few units in that way. Um, it, it is a very, I would say this, for a war game, it is a very psychological game to me when when I play it. And uh, I've played it at, at tournaments and competitions with people that have played a lot of these games. And it, it definitely attracts a different sort of grognard, a different sort of war gamer than a lot of the other war gamers. It, it has uh, chess-like feels sometimes. Yeah, no, uh, it, if we're going to go to impressions, like, you know, yeah. I, you know how your favorite kind of, uh, you, you know, sleuth, what, what kind of games that you call, we call Deduction. that sleuth? Deduction. Deduction. Uh, like, you know, and, you know, sleuth is 
better clue, you know, like a more sophisticated, tricked out clue. Yes. Uh, I feel like Maria is uh, a, a more tricked out or more a better, uh, what's, what you call it, Game of Thrones. Uh, so like, Okay. Yeah, I, could, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah. And I, I, I use Game of Thrones because I think a lot of our listeners would basically have played that. And, and you know, if you want a, an augmented feel of Game of Thrones – I think this would it would be a very uh, a very good investigation. If you don't like Game of Thrones, I don't suspect you're going to like this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you can't even though this is not a, a not very war gamey war game. It's still a war game, and so you have to have a certain predilection toward that form, right? Exactly. Like you know, when I play Game of Thrones, I think I play like a whole bunch of maneuvering happens. No one's really attacking, and then all of a sudden. The game is over. Like, you know, someone makes the move and either they're going to win or they're going to make it so someone else wins. Uh, at least that's how Game of Thrones has always worked out for me. Game of Thrones has the, you know, you're playing six people. You're trying to create certain alliances so that people, you know, don't go where you want them to go. But in the end, it's a bunch of maneuvering. And then how would I do? <laughs> uh, and, and Maria, like, you know, I think if you're playing it at past the intro level, mm-hmm. I think that's what it winds up being. Like, you know, when you first start out, you go like, oh, I'm going to attack here. I'm going to attack here. And, oh, guess what? I've, I've lost, and it's going to take four hours for me to to get out of this loss situation. Whereas uh, once you get good, you're like, oh, a whole bunch of nothing has happened. I have all these cards in my hand. They have all these cards in their hands. What's going to happen? We're going to see. And bingo. I don't know about that. I mean, that hasn't been my experience per se. Sure. I, I think that uh, that a good game of Maria played against people that know what they're doing is very much a game of attrition, right? You mm-hmm. can't let people – we each have different card draws. Like we get this number of cards per turn. And if you get even one card more than I do per turn, then you are winning the time war. So I have to attack you now. Because I can't let you get after round after round getting a continuous advantage over me, right? Um, so it, it becomes a, a game very much like it. And the political track, by the way, is one of those tracks where if I waste cards now, I can get more card draws later in, in the game. And that could be a, a very good use of cards that, for instance... I can play hearts because none of my armies are in hearts regions right now. And that that's a good way to take a, a card that is not serving me that well and to make it serve better. But realize that a heart in my hand is to another person looks like a threat because they have no idea what the disposition of my of my forces, of my cards are. And yeah, I, I think Game of Thrones often does end the way you described. I think that a, a, a well-played game of Maria, less so, because it is it, it is definitely one of those things where a lot of times a game of Maria will end when one person is has achieved that breakthrough. They have ground down the the opponent that they have to ground down in the suit that they need to ground them down in. And they are rushing over the map to grab as many of these locations that they need to grab as possible. And 
all they need to do is hold on to them for a turn. All they need to do is get one more space, and they could divert all their forces toward getting that one last thing, and that's how you win the game. But that's very satisfying because that that it, it, we can see it coming. We know it's happening. We can't always defend against it, but sometimes that's the card draw. We have to recognize that. Sometimes, I think more often than not, this is a game of skill. This is a game of... Uh, studying the map of uh, flanking, uh, moving my uh, my pieces around so that my best general is uh, attacking you at just the wrong at just the wrong time, where my uh, other general has moved into such a place where you have to keep your uh, supply train farther away from your general than you want to, and that means that your general can't move his full movement right next turn. There's all sorts of wonderful nuances that. For a game that is so rules light, is is pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing thing. No, I, I I absolutely agree that you know, for it's very reductive, and, and and I would you know in the way that I enjoy games, it really gets down to it. You know what it needs to be like, and I think the I don't want to say issue. Like if we're going into impressions, like sure, I really like I I, I like Maria. I think it's great. I don't play war games uh, often sure. because in the end, war games get to that point where it becomes about study and grind. Like, you know, there, there, there are going to be right ways to play Maria. You know, there are going to be things. And then it's now like it's like chess openings. They're going to be like uh, optimal chess openings. And then you wind up finding finding the game in the mid game. And that that grind is something that I'm. I'm kind of unwilling to do because I I don't play for for that those that that kind of feeling. Uh, but if you're a person who really enjoys the study of a game, I feel like this really is a good war game for you. Like it has just enough fog of war, so it doesn't feel like deterministic. Yeah. But uh, but it does you know it does re- really reward study. And I I know people who who really enjoy that kind of like. Um, that that kind of uh, effort, you know, the studying yeah. of a map. Like there 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 are better positions to be in on you know on the map. You know, there are key places to be. When you find them, you'll go with it. Some people find that static. Some people find that uh, releasing. You know, like uh, this now I can focus on more important things like the psychology or blah blah blah. So anyway. Yeah, I think that's dead on right. I, I think that if you are going to go out and buy Maria, you have to want to play a war game. That's for sure. However, it is diceless. It is not – this is not Axis, Axis and Allies. This is a uh, more chess-like you, – you would have to like chess-like study. You would have to like – Bluffing because you know you can play a game which suggests your cards are very different than what your cards actually are, and a lot of times you will get uh, your enemy to flinch when if they had only challenged you, they would realize how how weak you are in the area you're pretending to be strong in. Um, it, it's a it's an amazing game, uh, and so is Friedrich. I have to uh, I will personally say Friedrich is. Uh, my favorite of them. It is a simpler game. It, it does not have a political aspect to it, uh, so it is is simpler in that regard. It has a problem in that the game, in that there are cards that are randomly coming out that will determine events that will neuter or kill various people's uh, uh, campaigns. So. 
that can sometimes feel bad when I'm France and I'm pressing and I'm almost about to 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 get Friedrich. I'm I'm doing great, and all of a sudden the card comes out where where France basically is out of the game. Um, so that that could be a problem for people. But both of these games are absolute masterpieces. Uh, Ricard Civelle has made three games. He's made Friedrich absolute way on my top twenty of all time. Um, Maria, which we're talking about, amazing game. And Wir sind das Volk, which is a game about East and West Germany that plays like a kind of lighter version of Twilight Struggle and is amazing as well. The guy is the guy's a serious designer. And uh, if you're a completist, you should probably try out, at least play uh, one of his games. You might find them to be, they, they're considerably different than almost every other game that I have. Wouldn't you say that, Paul? Sure. Like, uh, I feel like, like, and I know this is not going to be right. Like, you know, it reminds me of, what's that PAX game that Matt, Matt loves so much? Premier? Premier. Uh, no, the other one, the first one, or the first one that he kept on raving about. Uh, uh, Renaissance? Yes, I believe that. You know, it has that feel to me, you know, uh, as far as like, and, and I, and not in gameplay, but like, you know, as far as its differentness. Yeah. I mean, Pax Porfiriana uh, is my favorite, and that's the actual first one, and that is the most different of them. It is, it is not a Euro game in most ways. So, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but like, you know, I, I would recommend it if you're that type of person. Yeah. Uh, Maria, you know, that, that's the caveat. Like, you know, you have to know yourself. Don't buy this, and you go, like, oh, I, I like, uh, I like Dominion, so let's get let's <laughs> now. If if Ben were if, Maria, you're, you're gonna, if Ben were on the episode, oh, what would Ben say about it? Uh, I, I don't want to speak for Ben, but he loves it. Yes. So I just spoke for Ben. I apologize, but <laughs> and, I, I, and I think it's fun. I think it's really fun. I think he he would say that uh, the the addition of the schizophrenic player because he played that a lot, like you know, really gives you some juicy decisions. Yeah. Uh, and I have no, I, I absolutely feel that is 100% correct. Like, you know, uh, it's just a matter of, do you, do you want this, uh, Sunday with a uh, hot fudge or do you want it with, uh, like caramel? Like, you know, the, the, it's, it's a, it's a taste thing about whether you're going to like it or not. And that ladies and gentlemen is Maria. So let's talk about table image. Paul, this is your segment. You chose table image. I love it. I love it. But tell me what we're going to be talking about. Well, you know, we're going to we're gonna like talk about what table image is and, you know, like how my table image, I believe, you know, got started in our podcast and like, you know, how, <laughs> how you know, how we, we react to other people's table image. So, you know, just basically uh, a generalization of, of table image, you know, focused on me because I'm so narcissistic. Yes, well, uh, naturally. Like, like, and I suppose, like, you know, as the game breaker or the person who is known to be enjoying other people's misery at the table. Sure. I have to be the most cognizant of my table image because it's so easy to be uh, shifted into, like, jerk, I never want to play with Paul again. So like, you know, and I, so I think I have a certain, I don't want to say insight, but like, you know, I thought a lot about table image uh, and I thought like, hey, let's have a conversation about that. Done. So uh, table image comes from poker, I think is where table image is most often talked about and uh, playing a lot of poker myself, uh, table image in, in poker is really, really important. What you project and knowing what you project and being able to shift what you project at any given point 
can really affect how other people respond to the exact same inputs, the exact same betting structure, the exact same moves that happen. Uh, in poker, there are four main uh, play styles. There are four main um, uh, table images, which is, um, well, there are actually two uh, spectra uh, which create four things. And one is uh, aggressive versus passive. And the other one is um, what am I tight loose. A tight, tight loose. loose. Tight loose. Yes. Yeah. Aggressive, passive, tight loose. Um, and listen, what I wanted to play against is like if I could go to a poker table and sit down and say, "I only want people with this table image. Send me all you got. I want. Uh, a, I want the passive loose. Passive loose players are what we call calling stations, and." <laughs> You can uh, you can make bank on those people. That's wonderful because uh, the the loose means they'll bet on a lot of hands. They're not going to wait until they have great cards. They'll bet on a lot of hands. Passive means they're not going to raise you. They're not going to push all in. They're going to be like they're going to be responding to what you give them without punching back. And that is a wonderful thing to be watching on a poker table. So now listen, that's not to say there aren't moments when passive loose play is proper play. When I have a particularly great hand and I'm dying for people to uh, uh, stay in, I'm trying to get as much money from this hand as possible, I want to affect passive loose play because I don't want to scare, I don't want to knock people out. I don't want to scare people away. I want to keep them on the hook until they hopefully get a better hand uh, from the re remaining cards that are left to be seen so that they can think that they're doing well, only to be destroyed by me. Um, I myself, I am an uh, aggressive tight player, uh, I don't, which means I, I don't play a ton of hands. I, I'm, you know, and I, by the way, in a poker tournament that lasts six hours, eight hours, ten hours, uh, I'm not one thing. What I do is uh, I, I choose a time increment, you know, every, yeah, I don't, I don't make it every hour or every half hour because people can notice that. But I do, you know, every 75 minutes, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to knowingly switch gears and I'm going to go. So all of a sudden for the next half an hour, I'm going to play a lot more hands. I'm going to loosen up the hands that I play and I'm going to be playing a, a lot more uh, maybe even sometimes calling more than raising and you know or check raising and all that sort of stuff uh, to change that. But my dominant strategy is aggressive tight, which means I wait for the cards to come to me, and when I get them, I am going to push hard. If a person bets, I am more likely to re-raise them than I am to call them. Uh, and that is simply about pressing the advantage when you have it, and, and, and that's the way I play. But each player at a poker table has a different table image, and there is a difference between the table image you think you're projecting and the one that you're projecting sometimes, which is another complication. So how do we bring that over to board games? I turn it over to Paul. <laughs> well, you know, like, so, I, I, like, you know, like, terminology from poker, uh, the way that I, you know, connect everything is basically, like, people do not play against you they play against the narrative that they have of you and you know and mm -hmm. all the movements on the board just reinforce that narrative you know uh so you know tom thinks he's playing a <clears throat> a, a tight aggressive hand 
or, or a type uh, aggressive table image. If I think Tom as a a loose, you know, uh, a, a you know, a passive loose person, I despite the fact that he's actually one thing, I'm going to react to my impression of what he's doing, and everything, every movement, every bet that he makes is going to be seen through that lens. So yeah. re- you, you, uh, you're going to be cherry picking the evidence that supports your theory and your your viewpoint. Exactly. So like so you know. The thing about table image is that it's not just play style. It's not just your personality. It's all these combination of things that create this narrative of you. And for me, you know, in my dealing with table image, I've had to curate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the real wrinkle is if you're conscious about it or you're unconscious about it, you're always projecting a table image. Yes. So no matter what. The, the, no matter what, no matter what, like people are going to be thinking about you, whether they're your friends or strangers, and they're, and you can either choose to put out something uh, deliberately or by your own uh, presets, your own defaults, which is, you know, I think is a very interesting thing. Like, you know, because uh, this will affect your win or lose rate, you know, and this will also affect like things like social ramifications. For example, if you're a person who doesn't really care about winning or you do or but you really want to spend a lot of time thinking, uh, that's going to affect your table image. You, know, you people may not want to spend play games with you if you are too AP. You know, like people may not want to spend a lot of time with playing with you online if you are not great uh, with technology. Like, you know, like if you're if your mouse if you you know, like I have an iPad, you know, that I play o- online with. And sometimes that, you know, that uh, my, my touchscreen doesn't work the same way that a double-click mouse will. Right. And then I, I have to assume that there are people who go like, oh, I, I like to play this, but, you know, Paul's going to be playing on that iPad. You know, is that is that something that I want to deal with? Like, I don't know if they're even doing that on a conscious level, but people are going to be processing the narrative that you uh, put out. Right. So, you know, so th- this is why I think table image is something important, especially in this t- day and age where, you know, things like living in the digital, uh, playing in the digital space, you know, you're not, it's not quite the same as sitting across from someone. And so there are other things that are going to really piss people off in a way. Like, you know, for example, moments of silence, spending a long time thinking online, you know, is very different than like, you know, me watching someone sweat over like a move yeah. you know it's going to be much more interesting for me to see him uh, or her sweat as opposed to me just dealing with silence for a while and, and all that matters you know uh so like you know which comes down to like how i've got my table image and i, I use this story as a, a way of saying like you know look at your life and if you <laughs> care about this like how how have how how has your table image been formed uh so like you know going down remember, like, Blue, 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 memory lane, memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, like, I, I use three, three kind of like, uh, three kind of turn, like, key points in in my in my journey to that establishes table image. Uh, basically, my table image is one of like, I am the game breaker. I'm a person who is known to try to break a game and trying to uh, cause people pain with my gameplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts on the very first eve that Tom invited me to a game night, and we we're playing a, a game called Wildlife, a game that 
we've never played again after. We've never played again after. Well, uh, it is a Wolfgang Kramer design, and it is a great game, but uh, it it caused feelings. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, I'm the new guy. There is Tom has a group of people, and I, you know, you're playing a, a, a an animal in you know in the kingdom. I was the crocodile. So uh, and. To the right of me was someone I can't I can't remember what they're playing reptiles maybe or primates I don't know it doesn't matter but anyway uh, not knowing the game uh, I understood various mechanisms and one mechanism was like I can attack this person uh, and this person I don't know how his name is Chuck hey Chuck uh, I don't know if this person knew the game very well but obviously he knew how to attack and so. He he encroached in my space. And I was going, uh, don't do that. Like you know, and I encroach back, and it sounds like that would be fine. But like either I kept on, it, either it was asymmetrical or whatever. But like it just built on each other till the point where the game became one of not people trying to win. The game became just me and Chuck <laughs> killing each other and everyone just watching. <laughs> well, we weren't watching. We were continuing to play the game optimally, <laughs> and we were lapping, lapping you guys on the board because both of you were just like, I don't, I no longer care what happens in this game so long as that guy loses. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and so the, the, the term that people use for me was the croc. And basically, the table image that I acquired at that, uh, at that uh, at that from that game, was basically, uh, if you uh, hurt Paul uh, in the game, he will strike back at you, and he will and he will sink your game. Now, yeah, and to, to be clear, it's even it's even more than that. It's it's if you if Paul feels hurt or betrayed by you, he will sabotage his own game and any chance of winning just in order to make sure that that you don't that you don't succeed. And so what I found in successive games was that people were really giving me a lot of space because of that. I was like, oh, they're, they think that, that from that one game, they have some insight into how I play all my games. Mm. And, and I was like, oh, you know what I should do? I should lean into that because that gives me an advantage. They're not, they're not dealing with me. I'm, I'm, I, I was only there for one game in their game. They, they don't know who I am yet. They only know, they're reacting to this one aspect that they think they, they know of me. And so from that, I, I started like, I wouldn't say threatening is not the right word, but like I would present as if, you know, the croc was such a, a, a integral part of my psyche that people would give me more space than I, I feel like they should. Right. Well, let's say that that even recently there are examples of you doing this. I don't know. I don't know if it's entirely calculated. I know that 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 was such an extreme example that certain people's play was overcorrecting the other way, and that gave you daylight. Right. Oh yeah. No, because like for all of it, I'm 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 one of the newer people to this type of board gaming uh, in our group. You know, I, I. in in our group like you know so it was i just had a lot of space in a way that like you know because it was very interesting i I noticed that uh and so like time goes on 
and then we come to our second, like, you know, our second chapter, uh, which is this game uh, called Die Macher. Demacher uh, was- is pronounced. Demacher. Oh, uh, it's a, yeah, yeah. a obscure little German game. We, we, we probably haven't mentioned it on the podcast. Um, yeah. But if we have it, you would know that it's a, a, a game about the tr- German parliamentary election system and the greatest game of all time. Yeah, uh, alleged greatest game of all time in Tom's uh, mind. No, uh, anyway, no, greatest game of all time. So we're playing this game, and uh, Tom spends a lot of time prepping for his game. Like as we were talking earlier about, like you know, curating an experience. This is the experience that Tom was curating. Like he's like, oh, we're, I got all these people. I'm changing them from German to the current American system. It's gonna be so good. You could, you could basically walking into the room, hear Tom salivate. <laughs> at playing the game because when mammals expect you know a certain stimuli they salivate and so the tom mammalian response was like oh, it's gonna be so good it's gonna be so good anyway so we're so we're playing the game and somewhere mid-game tom and i make an arrangement where uh, i go hey if you do this i'll do this and tom goes great uh and then uh as the round continues tom does something that i perceive is against the spirit of our arrangement. And Tom Tom would claim that, like, the, to the letter of the law, I am not breaking our arrangement. And because, so, oh, just to be clear, um, for, for the listeners out there, because I wasn't in any way, shape, or form. Sure, sure. sure, sure. Like, you know, so, you like, know. Uh, he said, she said, or <laughs> Paul said, you know, crybaby says. <laughs> I would, anyway. I would say I would say there's no negotiating with terrorists. So fair, fair enough. And so here, so I go, Tom. I would rather you not do this because now I'm incentivized to do this thing that is against literally our arrangement because you are vulnerable to that. Uh, you know, I'm 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 saying don't do this. And Tom, you know, if you ever get to play with Tom, you know when he says, you know what, I'm going to do this. And uh, you do what you do, what uh, you got to do. Whenever he says that, that means he's going like, I'm going to lose my cookies if you do this. <laughs> but <I'm> like, <laughs> and so and so, I, I, you know, he does this like you know, in front of the whole table. And I go, well, I'm going to do this now. And I do it. And Tom is quiet. And if you talk about Asian blush response for alcohol, they're I assume there's an Irish blush response. <laughs> definitely, <for anger>. definitely. <laughs> because because he is so red and quiet. You know, his game is destroyed at this point. Like there's there's no he's not recovering. And what also happens is uh, the person after me who uh, uh, why am I oh uh, Scott uh, Scott goes like oh well if we're gonna beat up on Tom piles on uh, I, I'll, I'll pile on. <laughs> And Tom has spent hours setting up this game. He is dead mid-game, <laughs> and, and like, and, and the image that is uh, is set for me is like, oh, Paul's a betrayer. He's a crock and betrayer. So like, so I get even more like, you know, I get even more latitude when people are dealing with me. You know, so I go sort oh. of though, but but the the truth is is that, um. You you've noticed that you have a harder time making deals with people oh, because yeah. of this, and especially deals that have a future component. Because um, almost nobody in our group trusts you to keep a future portion of any deal. 
I, I would say that everyone has to consider that. Everyone considers. I don't know. If, uh, like I, do I find that there are people who have less are like less likely to be, to deal with me? Absolutely. Yeah. Has it has it come at my detriment? Yeah. I don't know. Well, like, and does, and let's do the other side of it. The other side of it is for me. Uh, in that game, one of the interesting things is that I we we had a, we had a deal. I did not break the deal. You broke the deal, and that's legitimately the truth, right? Uh, you can say no. It, like, it, like, it, 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 like, it flat out is the truth. You were saying uh, I want to modify this deal because I see this other thing that is happening here, and that's kind of hurtful to me, and it kind of makes me want to break the deal. That's well, essentially what you were saying. To, to, not to you know, I absolutely own the fact that there was a contract and letter of the law i broke the contract no no doubt no doubt yeah. but, well, the, but, yeah, the, but here's the, the thing the interesting wait, wait, thing wait, wait, is wait. i'm an awful person i'm not trying to say oh pause this no i'm an awful person i'm just saying that here is my journey and sure. once i did this thing i come to realize that like oh you know now i have this reputation yes. and so no one feels safe around me necessarily in the same way that yes. people like for example aside from a very few uh very very few instances tom is a person who will play and keep his word I, I, I will i will virtually always do that and because of my table image because my table image is there's there was a running joke for years and years and years in our game group which is okay if you want to win the first thing you do is make sure tom doesn't win and then you try to win, right? And because of that, there is this huge sort of group thing where everybody is just make sure, you know, if you make a deal with Tom, make sure you're getting a much better deal, right? And all that sort of and all that sort of stuff. So for me, I if I start if I add on top of that image that that I already have of being a person that that you you can't let get away with anything, if I then make a deal with somebody and betray them it's over it's over so i don't i never betray and by, by the way ne i kind of like is incorrect never is correct <laughs> but but rarely it's name a rare one. thing it's name a rare it. instance name one instance when i actually betrayed somebody well uh you and i were allies in eclipse and i put myself in a very vulnerable position and you destroy you proceeded to destroy my uh my what you call it my whole empire when uh <laughs> and and you know and you know this is this is you know this is the famous game where the term uh where the phrase like you know this is not how it was taught was coined <laughs> so, so so please tom All please right. let fair. us get you off your high horse fair enough, fair enough. I'm, I'm giving this to you i'm saying you you are general this way like you know and, and you know and you sure. are sure but like you know we we are all awful people, yes, and we all and we all have a table image to uphold, or, or that we do, or to cultivate. Yes, cultivate, that's a better word. And so, and so, the last game that uh, that I'll mention is a game of Avalon, where both Tom and I were the bad guys. This is before we were playing with Percival, uh, and Trey was Merlin. And uh, and what happened in this game was that let me. Uh, rewind a bit. Trey is the person I most fear at the table in almost uh, every game. But Trey was not always this way with Avalon. Trey was <laughs> awful. He was awful at Avalon in, in the beginning. And so here, Tom and I are the bad guys. Trey is Merlin. And 
it's it's the last vote. Two two missions have failed, and there was it's looking like you know the third mission was going to fail. And Trey stands up or near stands up, proverbially stands up and goes, "Okay, we're going to lose, but I am Merlin, and both Tom and Paul are the bad guys. I know we're going to lose." But like I can't allow this to happen if you know so so I you know I Merlin, please don't pick Paul and Tom in the group. And I think it was Mike or someone else. They picked the group and they and we, you and I were able to convince uh, the whole table that Trey was a bad guy. Yep. And so and so the team was chosen and rather than just one person like Tom and I. Uh, <laughs> Tom or I, it was Tom and I on a team <laughs> chosen by a good guy. And Trey, I wouldn't say losing his cookies, but like he was really going like, he wasn't mad. He was just going like, I am so bad at this. I'm so bad at this. And it was hilarious. But, you know, but then like, you know, in that, in that game there, uh, I feel like my, my, uh, my table image was solidified with Paul Sneaky. <laughs> So I have going for me. I'm uh, uh, I'm vindictive. I'm, I'm I'm a person who betrays, and I'm sneaky. Yeah, but but and let's I'm, let's only talk. Let's let's keep this to just how we are in games, not in life. Exactly, exactly. Like you know, and and, and so despite the fact that I am those three things, like you know, <laughs> I believe that like. With that table image, and like, by you know, the, and let me just I've, say one thing before you. I, I know what you're going to say, but but the caveat is in Avalon, everybody's sneaky. So you are sneaky, but I'm not sure Avalon's the best example of that because everybody kind of gets a pass in Avalon. Yes, but at the same time, like you know, uh, there in that particular game, mm. it was so egregious. Yes, it was. It was so egregious. This this was not your normal like. Oh my god, this is. This is this is one of those things where like, what just happened? Like it it, it was it, at least the way I remember it. Yes. And, I, and well, this is just my narrative for myself. I, it, you know, Trey could go like, oh yeah, I mean, you know, I let him have that. You know, I, I don't know what the <laughs> narrative is, but my narrative is, is this. And so with that, you know, with that, with those three elements, you know, I've kind of cultivated this idea where playing with me, you can't trust me. You know, like, like, like it, yeah. you can't just blindly trust me. And what that affords me in my table image is that people are going to, I, I, I don't want to use the word fear, but they are going to overestimate the things that I'm considering because anything is possible. In a poker game, I, I play what would be called a loose aggressive. So there's a wide range of things that are possible from my actions, despite the fact whether I'm considering them or not. So in a way... I believe that people, the, what I'm trying to project is a player that is better than I actually am. Mm. You know, th so th th that's, you know, like, uh, and, and <clears throat> the way you do that is like, you know, like I'm, you just continue to lean into these things. Like in Avalon, for example, uh, not, not that we talk too much about this game, you know, I, I, cul I cultivate for the long-term game an, uh, a, an image of like, we don't know about this guy. The the kind of the anti-hero type perspective. Is he going to come on uh, the good side or the bad side? Even if I'm good, where most people in our game group will try to cultivate a sense of like I'm always good, whether they're bad, uh, good or bad. Right. So 
so th- this this is you know once again I'm like I'm I've crafted this uh, this table image for you know for for not just any one game but for all the games that uh, that we play and more importantly I think people do that all the time I just don't think they're entirely in control of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely. I mean, you've you've noticed that for me, you know, when you're you're viewed as the the guy that you gotta stop from the get go or that sort of thing, I, I, it's lessened over time, which I've tried to do. I've tried to lessen it over time. Well, you know, to, to be to be honest, like you know, I feel like the great thing about table images, like it's not just dependent on the person. Like I've spent a long time undermining you tom <laughs> oh no yeah uh, by the way you and trey and matt and and like uh, the people that know what they're doing are constantly trying to like my the way i play each game is to point out to each player the best move for them when it happens to also benefit me right Absolutely. that's and you pointed that a million times You're like yeah listen and this is a classic paul line listen listen mike what Tom is saying is true, but <laughs> but he is also saying that because it benefits him. And if we keep benefiting him like this, just because he's telling the truth, doesn't mean it's really helping us. But what you're, which is what you're reduced to with with my table image as being a listen. I'm competitive. I'm going to play the best game I can, but I'm also going to try and help you play the best game you can play. That's sort of the the table image I'm presenting, and it creates a, a situation for you where you have to kind of advocate to people not to do the best thing for them. <laughs> oh no, no! What I what, and, and this is how I see. See, once again, table images varied, right? Like what you think you're projecting sure. is not necessarily. So like what I what I've consciously done when I came into the game space with this game group, I was like, Tom's winning a lot, and you know what? I feel like people are really helping him win. And then you know I, I'm analyzing the game a bit more. I go like, oh, you know, Tom has a certain style that he plays. He plays uh, to be second, and then uh, at the very last bit, he'll go, oh, this person's winning. You better beat them, and so. <laughs> the group tends to beat the person in front, and then Tom wins. Oh my God, I don't know how I won. It was just, you know, really, you know, I could just see blah, 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 and whatever. I'm like, this is bull crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I systematically, you know, consciously go like, oh, hey, person, Tom is not a person who's going to help you out. Tom is going to help himself out. And uh, the way he's going to do this is he's going to point out something that's good for you. But it's going to help him a little bit, too. And if he does this enough times with enough people, he's going to have effectively more moves than everyone else. And in those more moves, he's going to win. So don't do that. <laughs> take, take the less good uh, option for yourself and, and go with that doesn't help Tom. And you'll we'll find that like there'll be a more uh, even play. So what I basically did was I said... Tom is sneaky. I put that into the meta of our. Oh group. yeah, oh yeah, and and I feel like I was successful. <laughs> I mean, somewhat, yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think somewhat, but yeah. it, it, it but it does come down, and it's a constant tug of war. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes your your narrative of my play, which is mm-hmm. which is interesting, because 
I don't try and change people's perception of your table image, but lots of but people. But I'm the villain. Lots I'm the villain. Of, well, no, but <laughs> you lots you of people are trying. The, here, here's the thing: there are active campaigns that are trying to frame my table image. I don't think there are that many active campaigns trying to to frame anybody else's table image. Just mine. <laughs> absolutely, like you know, like I absolutely. I will say for for you, like you know, the way that I would claim it to people in our group who are listening, Tom is the person who won't own his sneakiness. He'll say he does, <laughs> but he doesn't. He's a bad, bad person. And here's where it, 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 here's where here's where it becomes. At least I own it. <laughs> oh, that's delightful. That but, is. But, you know, absolutely delightful nonsense but delightful <laughs> but like, uh, and let me conclude with like you know you know examples like it's not just i'm not just talking about how uh i project my stuff and that you know like like i i respond to other people's table image like i'll, I'll give you three examples of people in our group that i res- that i can see my game change because they're at the table sure you know for example jake jake comes in and his table image is one of like hey I'm just here to have fun. Yeah. You know, like, like, like that, that's, that's regardless. He might be secretly competitive. He might be secretly, like, you know, I'm going to kill them if they don't <laughs> let me out. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his head, but he has the tone of like, I'm just here to have fun. And just by putting that out there, like I find myself less competitive. I, yeah. I find myself less likely to go like, Oh, I'm going to go for the win. I'm less, I'm less sneaky. You know, I'm, right. I'm, and I'm, I'm more, pushing towards group fun when jake's at the table 100 I, I i would i'm the same way uh I, you know if if you define sneaky this way then i guess i am sneaky but but i will always point out the the best move that you can make if it also helps me a little bit even just a even just a little bit i will always point that out to right. you that's, that's right with, like, with, and it's, it's that it's that fine print at the end go, i will always point out the best move for you if it helps me yeah, if it helps me a little bit Right. Yeah. Yep, yep. And, and, and by the and by the way, seven times out of ten, seven times out of ten, I say that too. Seven yeah. times out of ten, I said, "Look, it it helps me. I'm I'm pointing it out because it helps me too. But it's much better move for you, right? And it is. It's a, your turn, so it should be a better move for you. But in any case, I don't do that with Jake. With Jake, I will point out the best move for Jake, regardless of whether or not it helps me. And same with me, like, you know, like, and, and, you know, this isn't a matter of him being the casual gamer and not playing as many games. I, for me, I go like, oh, you know, he's really in this for the camaraderie. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yeah. I really want to, I want to give him that, you know, I, I don't. So anyway, hundred percent. So uh, another person, and this is my own personal kryptonite would be Alfred. Yeah, and I spent a lot of restless nights just going <laughs> like, how does Alfred do this? I don't understand, like, because he's able to do things that no one else in our group is able to do to me. No one else, and it's not like he's sneaky. It's not like he's, you know, I, I don't think he's planning these things, but he's able to Jedi mind trick me in a way that makes me go, <laughs> like, we'll spend weeks thinking about this. And I, you know, what I've come down to is like he, his table image is he projects this feeling of, uh, or like the thought process, like I'm not winning. He is always projecting this sense that, to me, at least the way I read it, whether it's conscious or unconscious, like, he's not winning. He thinks he's not winning. And because of that, I wind up, like, just 
missing him. I wind up not putting him into my calculations the way I I normally would mm. with any other person. Even Jake, you know, e- even Jake doesn't have this I'm not winning aspect. With Jake, there's a sense of uh, like, hey, here's here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do, and I, and I can focus that. But Alfred, he's I guess what I say, he's so modest. He's so modest to the point of invisible, and I hate him for it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if modest is the, is the right word, but he is. He is definitely. He he plays. He plays great. He plays very well, very quietly, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to to be doing well in a game and to do it quietly. And he he is he is very good at that. That's for sure. And so yeah, exactly. And so I don't know how so. To my disadvantage, and this is probably at a subconscious level, like you know, I'm just not evaluating his position correctly, <laughs> and, and it's 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 amazing. Like you know, I'm I'm really impressed with his ability to do this. Like you know, I I go like I don't know if it's, he's controlling it, but like he his table image forces me or or draws out of me this. I think you, you humans call it compassion. Compassion, compassion. Compassion. Okay, it's this weird. I've tried to explain it to you many times, but it's okay. We'll get there. And my algorithm isn't very good at handling that. Anyway, no. so so he he, he affects my my uh, gameplay with his table image. And and the last person I'll use is Trey, because like you know for me, Trey in our group is the studier. Like you know I I feel that I am I'm a pretty good game player. I think you're a pretty good game player. I feel like the what we have in common is like with our natural gifts or whatever our our defaults. Like we get games pretty quickly. Yeah, and so like, oh, here's here's the rhythm of the game. Here's the rhythm of the game, and then we we just crank up. We mod, we we streamline that understanding. Uh, I don't know if Trey has always this way, but like I know what he will do is like he will, despite his initial prejudices or or where he starts, he will grind away at what is the best way to play, the most optimal like passion, uh, dispassionate way to play, and you can see this in how he got so good at. Um, Agricola, you can see yep. is how he got good at Avalon because he was the worst at Avalon, and now he is like one of the best. Yeah, and you just see him his thought process like in any game, like you know, if we play it more, uh, you know, we, if we get into a streak of games where we just play the same game over and over again, he's the person I'm worried about because I know Tom will peter out, I know I will peter out, but Trey will continue to get good. Uh, this regardless of whether it's true or not that's his table image for uh, of him that's my table image of him and so what that winds up being for me is like when i play against him i find myself more conservative like you know because i i go like oh he's going to see that uh that this position is i'm vulnerable in this position and for all of it like you know he's going to make that consideration whereas if i'm playing dimitri he's going i know that he's going to be focusing on his own thing he won't care about my position you know, uh, Trey is going to have that consideration. And the thing is, it's not that you don't, Tom. It's not that Matt doesn't. It's not that Ben doesn't right. or Jesse or anyone else. It's that because I know Trey is, a, is really active in his – no, it's not, not even the right word. Because my table image of Trey is one where I have this narrative of him, If I put so much weight on that that like I wind up playing more conservative because I don't want to be put in a vulnerable position because he's yeah. to me he's the person who's going to leverage it the most. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that that Trey and I um the difference in the the optimal play styles for us is that Trey um plays 
setting himself up for really big turns where he gets this maximum benefit of the game system. And I try to put myself in positions where no matter what, no matter what anybody else is doing, I'm benefiting, you know, passively from the things that they're doing. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, I, I, you're a person who's trying to, um, get passive points basically and Trey is going for the big, big payout. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, and I'm probably somewhere in between, like, you know, I'm, I'm really actually, uh, I'm more like Matt in that, you know, here is this, here are pieces of junk and like, let's put something together. And I'm, I'm a person who will, when I'm playing you two, uh, I will attack tempo so that you don't have enough time to accumulate a, a pass, a, a lot of passive income and Trey won't have time to create that, uh, that big payout, you know, it doesn't right. always work. That's just what I've, you know, I've, I choose to how to attack you guys generally, but you know, it, it's regardless of this, of that fact, like, you know, Trey, Trey is the person who I go like, ah, I want to play loose and aggressive, but he's forcing me because he's at the table to play tighter, which is yeah. very interesting. <laughs> I find it very interesting. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a thing where, we're, you know, the takeaway, of course, is like basically, you know, we're all affected by table image. We're, yes. we're, we're, we're all, we're, you know, whether we're conscious of, of it or not, we are uh, affected. It. We're always uh, projecting it as well, whether mm-hmm. we're conscious of it or not. And, and I think the, the, the last thing about table image that is interesting to me is that it's a living thing. Yes. It you is know, constantly shifting and evolving. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I as as the villain of the group, you know, or whatever you want to call it, as the person who was the croc and the betrayer and the sneaky, you know, for all of it, I I don't think people really see me that way in the same way that they uh, saw me earlier in uh, uh, in the what you call it uh, in the game, my game experience with this group. I think in the which end, bring, like, you which know, brings up the point that you can't really tell what your own uh, a, a table images like Paul. You think that you've evolved, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> which, which has been this, this concerted effort that Tom has been trying to like trick me into thinking I've evolved that way. <laughs> so here's the thing: like, like, so everybody, if you're taking anything from this, it's it's try to get a sense of what your table image is. See if it's working for you, and see if you can adjust it because you can make certain adjustments. But just realize that it's going to be the sort of thing where the metagame starts to take over a little bit at your game nights. At our game nights, it is constantly filled with, oh man, look how well Trey is doing. He's I mean, is he going to lap us? So what are you talking about? I'm losing. And, and just the back and forth of the, wow, you know what? That was a, and, and Paul will, will just sneak in with a, that was really sneaky, Tom. That was really sneaky. I'm like, what? There was nothing sneaky. Uh, like the, You're just throwing out words. <laughs> well, well what's, what's interesting is basically, you know, with diplomacy, the, the adage is what? Once you yeah. play diplomacy, everything is diplomacy. You know, and, and for same with table image, right? Once you start playing the game of table image, every, every game, game is, a game. About to, is about table <laughs> oh. image. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's about it's about perception. Now, the more multiplayer solo games you play, right? The 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 less this becomes a thing. Uh, yes. But but the, 
can't you tell this is fun? Can't you tell there is there's something in this in the you know in in trying to get people to to assess threats toward your vision versus toward somebody else's vision. Uh, there, there's I don't know. Listen, maybe we're horrible people. Definitely, definitely one of us is horrible person. That's right. The other uh, one, and, my, and the other one owns it. <laughs> may, the, <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul, it, it, this is a great topic. Thank you for oh. thank you so much for for bringing it up. I think it's really awesome. Thanks, buddy. Um, we are not going to have time for a sommelier this week. We will try and do one the next time we talk. Um, listen, we don't we don't say this very often, so every once in a while we're going to bring it up. If you would just rate and review us, that would be an awesome thing. Um, you know, lots of people that's their a part of their boilerplate at the end of every episode. They say please rate and review us. Uh, but we don't like to do that. We just do this, you know, maybe two or three times a year, we mentioned. Uh, if you could, uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, uh, listen, rate and review us. It would really help us. We just want more people to uh, to hear about our podcast. And uh, if it's a home for you, we're really, really happy about that. Um, Paul, awesome as always. It's really great to talk to you. Um, it, we're starting to get to the point where more and more of us are starting to get our first vaccines and Hopefully, we'll be able to sit across the table from each other and hurl outrageous accusations against our characters very, very soon. Well, that's the, that's the only game to really play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel, both very active. Uh, please get in those board game sommelier questions. We need more game sommelier questions. And you... I've been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly and Trey also. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. Also, thanks to Edamaros for our amazing graphics. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening. And go play some games with friends or virtually make some friends with games. Ow. <laughs>